Hey, I'm Kyle, and thanks for checking out this message today. We are glad you're here, and we would love to get connected with you and your family. One easy way you can do that is you can text River Connect one word to 97,000. You can also visit our website at theriverchurch.cc to learn more about us and the upcoming events that we have going on. And lastly, if you would like to give to the River Church today, you can text that amount to 84321, or again, you can check our website and click the Give tab at the top of the page. We just want to say thanks for joining us today, and we hope you enjoy today's message. Well, hey, everybody. Wow, don't be so excited. I know it's raining out, and it's not our favorite weather. Uh, so good to see you. My name is Josh, and I'm the gathering director here, and I'm excited about the opportunity to uh, get to share the word with you this morning. Um, I woke up a little bit early this morning, and it was, it was perfect, right? It was a little cold, a little rainy, and I was like, oh, I'll wake up a little early. I'll do a little extra reading. I'll be diligent. And uh, so I was getting ready, and I was making my coffee, and then all of a sudden, I could just hear this small little voice, and I was like, ah, that's my daughter. Of course she's going to wake up right now. She's two years old, and uh, so she comes rolling out of the bedroom, and immediately right to Papa, and so... Needless to say, I didn't get much done this morning. I didn't get any time to read. She spent 10 minutes fluffing my hair because it's so great and putting my hat on and dusting off my shirt because we have cats and there's fur everywhere. So it was a very peaceful morning hanging out with my, my little girl. And, and, uh, but nevertheless, to say I'm very excited to be here with you today. I was uh, putting all, all my notes in the, the computer this week and I got to the end and uh, I, was, I was scrolled all the way to the bottom, and I, and I swear to you, I almost pulled out my license to see if my last name had changed from Josh Thayer to Josh Combs. I was like, wow, there's a lot of scripture. I was like, well, let's go. There's no, no better thing to do than to read the Bible. So if you guys got your Bibles today, we're going to jump right into it. We're in Revelation. Uh, if you haven't been here at all all summer, we're in the book of Revelation. We're talking about a lot of crazy, fun things, exploring the Word of God. And so uh, you can pretty much turn to the, the last page. You can flip your Bible upside down, open the cover, and you'll probably be there. We're going to be in Revelation 20 today. Uh, and while you guys are turning there, I'm actually going to read Revelation 1, because I just want to remind ourselves where we're at here in this book, why we're reading it, and the purpose of it all. And it says in Revelation 1, it says, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must take place soon. He made it known by sending an angel to his servant, John. So the big thing there is that, you know, that phrase, the revelation, it really just means to uncover or reveal. And when it's referring to a person, as in Jesus Christ, right there, that very first sentence, essentially that person becomes clearly visible. So that is what the book of Revelation is about. I know a lot of times we get confused because there's symbolism and it's crazy and there's dragons with 30 heads and we're like, what's going on? It's just apocalyptic literature. That's just the, the, the basis for the writings. Uh, but at the end of the day, this book is all about revealing who Jesus is, very clear, very concise. And so that's what we're going to be doing today. And uh, we're going to be in verses 11 through 15, and you might have a title on your Bible. It says, Judgment Before the Great White Throne, Some Type of Crazy Final Judgment. That's where we are, so buckle up. It's going to be a party, all right? Uh, but before we get into that verse, I want to read the verse right before it. I kind of want to just set the stage for this moment and where we are in Scripture, in the book of Revelation. Uh, and it says in verse 10, and it says, that, And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were, and they were tormented day and night forever and ever. So we just came off the thousand-year reign of Christ. Pastor Ryan was here last week, and he did a great job sharing the word about that. And uh, he defeated Satan, tossed him into the lake of fire. And so we are here at this moment at verse 11, 
And Satan and the Antichrist and the false prophet, they are all in the lake of fire and all expound upon the lake of fire here in a little bit. Uh, but we're going to pick it up right here in verse 11, and we're just going to jump right in. So verse 11, here we see it says, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. So, you know, we've been reading through the book of Revelation, and, and if you've seen or read, there's, there's a lot of references to thrones, right? I think nearly almost 50 times there is references to thrones without the book of Revelation. And the one thing that's different about this throne is that this is a throne of judgment. It's elevated and it's pure. And to beg the question of who's seated on, seated on that throne, well, the answer to that question is Jesus, and I would like to show you that. So if you have your Bibles, let's flip them. We're going to go to John chapter 5. And we're going to read some more scripture. And so here in John, chapter 5, we're going to be in verses 22 through 29. And Jesus is teaching here in Jerusalem. And there's a bunch of scripture in here. And basically Jesus is taking the opportunity to declare who he was. And so we see here in verse, uh, chapter 5, verse 22, we pick it up and it says, For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son. Now, I could just stop there, right, because that's pretty clear and obvious. But this whole section is so good, so I want to keep reading. It says, That all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment. There again, we see that. Because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and they will come out. And those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Now, right there at the end, I kind of want to point out a couple things. It says, to those who have done good, to those who have done evil. He's really just talking about the works. And he's not saying that your works are going to get you to one place or the other, right? He's basically saying works are evidence of your faith. Whether you're saved or not saved, your works will be evidence of that. And so that's his reference there. But you see it multiple times. He says to execute judgment, and then back in the very beginning of the verse, he says he has given judgment to the Son. And so that's what we're talking about here today in Revelation verse 11. He said, then I saw a great white throne, him who was seated on it, and that was Jesus. And then we get to a very interesting verse at the the end of that. It says, from his presence, the, the earth and the sky fled away, and there was no place for them. And I'm like, where did the earth go? Uh, where did the sky go? It's kind of hard to like make that go away because it's pretty vast. And he's talking about, you know, the heavens and the universe and, and earth. And it's so large and crazy. And I remember the first time I read that and then I read this verse I'm about to read you. And I looked at my wife and we were sitting on the deck and I was like, this is like a sci-fi thriller. This is insane. I was like, but it's so cool. But I'm like, this is, this is kind of crazy. And so I kind of want to show you a little cross-reference here. Go to 2 Peter chapter 3 and we're going to be in 10 through 13. Just a couple chapters back. Not too crazy. And here we have Peter just living his best life. And we're going to pick it up right here in verse 10. And he also recalls this here. He says, 
But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. And the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? Godliness, Waiting for and hastening the coming day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So we see a couple different things here. We see a reference to the day of the Lord, and that right there is a reference to Christ's second coming, all right? So that's not the moment that we're currently in here in Revelation, but then later on, we see a reference of day of God, and that is in reference to this moment here in Revelation 20, where in order to get to the new heaven and new earth, all sin and evil has to be destroyed, and that includes the earth and everything that was about it in the universe. So that's why here God is and that's why that verse here in Revelation is, is saying that the sky, and that's basically saying it's gone. And you can see here it's talking about how the bodies were burned. And, and the, the, the reference of heavenly bodies, it's really just talking about all the atoms, neutrons, protons. Basically everything that makes up matter itself will disintegrate and be gone just like that. And I love the word that, that they use back in Revelation. He says, from his presence, earth and sky, they fled away. I didn't write that in my notes, but I, I remember studying this, uh, the Greek word Fuego, I believe if I'm saying that right, it's probably wrong. But uh, they also reference that word a bunch of times in the Bible, but there's one very funny reference in the book of Mark where uh, scholars believe that they, this was the young man, Mark was the reference here, and he was fleeing from the garden because he was almost trying to get caught, and he was wearing nothing but a, ro- a, like a sheet or a robe or something, and his robe fell off. So he was running away naked trying to escape, and they used that same word fled. So if you could imagine a naked Mark running away trying not to be caught, that is how fast the universe disappeared. And it didn't disappear. God made it come into not existence, whatever that fancy word is that you want to make up. But I can just imagine in my head God just in a moment is gone. Everything that we know, the earth, the universe, the sky, all the planets, just gone. And to me, that just really highlighted God's power. Like, we thought God was pretty cool, right? He's like walking on water. He's multiplying fish and bread, which is a really cool trick. It's not a trick. It's God's power. And, you know, he's he's placing ears back on people in the Garden of Gethsemane, but like just like this. And everything that we know, existence is gone. That's true power, church. And that is what our God is capable of. Just that little bit, and it's all gone. It's a, it's a lot to take in. Because I feel like a lot of times, me, myself, I try to comprehend God. And God didn't give us enough knowledge to be able to comprehend all that he is. And all that he is capable of doing. And so just in that moment, God made it all disappear. And so we continue on here in verse 12, back in Revelation. And it says, I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. And then another book was opened, which was the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books, according to what they had done. So here we see all the dead. All the unbelieving dead from all time ever, standing before the throne of Jesus. And I love the reference of great and small because it just implies that it doesn't matter who you were here on earth. 
If you don't believe in Jesus at this moment, you will be there. Whether you're a gazillionaire or whether you are homeless, it doesn't matter. Everybody at this moment who doesn't believe in Jesus will be here standing before the Lord. And it mentions a couple different types of of books. And so there's a lot of speculation, right? There's no clear scripture that that they were like, hey, here's what the books are and here's what's in the books. Like, that'd be really nice. But uh, we don't get that here in scripture. So a lot of scholars, they've theorized about what could be in the books. And uh, there's a lot of uh, different thoughts. And I'd like to share a couple with them with you today. The the majority thought is that these books are going to uh, contain all the things that we've ever done here on earth. And obviously that would be, you know, recorded through uh, God's uh, divine omniscience, which is basically his ability that, that he knows everything. He knows current, future, past. He knows it all. And so in these books would be everything that we've ever done. I know for myself, I would not want to stand in front of the Lord with that book open because I am human just like every one of you, and I have faults and sins in my life, and I would not want to stand before a, a pure and holy God and have to answer for those. And then there's another theory that the book is um, potentially God's perfect and holy law. And uh, so there's scholars have kind of debated about this. You know, at the, at the end of the day, we're not going to know, right? We're not going to know what's exactly in these books. Only the Lord knows. I tend to lean that it is the, um, the first one, the um, account for everything that we've ever done in our lives. Based off of just a couple things here in the scripture, or he says, you know, and, and, and you will be judged for what was written in these books according to what they had done. And he says that twice. We'll see that a little bit later here in Scripture. But to me, I, I, tend, to lean towards, I tend to lean towards that. And then you also see a reference of what they call the book of life. Now, we've seen this a little bit in Scripture. Um, but essentially what the book of life is from what we know about it through the Bible is that it's essentially a divine journal which, with the records of all the names of people who are going to get into heaven. And that's a fancy book, right? Because if your name is in that book, you're going to be able to spend an eternity with Jesus. Which is something that, as a believer, that's what we want, right? That's, that's the end goal. And so this book, and you can see a reference to this in Revelation 3. I'll just I'll scooch back real quick and read it for you. And it says, The one who conquers, which is just a reference to believers, Christians, will be clothed thus in white garments. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. So there we see a reference to the book of life, and people's names are in the book of life. And he will bring that up to his father and say, listen, they're here. They believe. And so the book of life, the books with most likely our deeds and everything that we've ever done will be present at this moment. And there's another thing that I thought was interesting while I was reading this scripture. It, it mentions twice that they will be judged by according to what they had done. And to me, I was kind of like, it's interesting that they, they referenced that, that concept twice within four scriptures. And then I got to thinking, I was like, does that, does that mean there are potentially different levels of eternal punishment? Are there different levels of hell? And so I did a little study on that. And uh, I, I did find, find some things that I thought were very interesting that kind of uh, pointed to that. And so if you have your Bibles, let's flip back to Matthew 10. And I'd like to show you some more scripture. Matthew 10, 
Wow, it is nice to hear the pages turning. So nice, almost too nice. So here we are in uh, chapter 10, and Jesus is essentially sending out his 12 disciples to preach the gospel. And we are going to be in verses 14 and 15, real quick here. And it says, And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment, referring to the moment that we're at right now, for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. Now that's a crazy reference, because if you know anything about Sodom and Gomorrah, and you can see it biblically in Genesis 19, the town was essentially wiped off the face of the earth by fire from heaven because Jesus looked at that town and he said, there's nothing good there. And he destroyed it just like that. They didn't even get a chance. And for him to make that reference that it'll be more bearable is the concept of, sure, there could be potentially different levels of eternal punishment. And you see actually that uh, vernacular like three or four more times in the Bible where he, he makes that comparison. He's like, it'll be either more bearable or it'll be less bearable, having implication that there could be different levels of hell when we get to that point. And there's another, another reference in Luke that I'd actually oh, well, we'll read real quick. It's in Luke 12, if you've got your Bibles. And in this reference, Jesus is telling a story. And I love Jesus' parables because they're always so confusing, but eventually we somehow figure it out through the grace of God. But here he's telling a parable about being ready for Christ's return. He's talking about a master and his servants in reference to Jesus and, and us. And at the end of the parable are, are really truths that apply to unbelievers. You know, he's teaching to his disciples at this moment, and, and also a very large crowd has gathered. And uh, in verse 45, It says, but if that servant says to himself, my master is delayed in coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk. This is really just a reference into the evil of the heart of the servant. He says, the master of that servant will come at an hour and a day that he does not expect him and at an hour he does not know and he will cut him into pieces and put him with the unfaithful. And that servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready on according to his master's will, will receive a severe beating. But the other one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. So here we also see contrast to uh, a difference in punishment, if you will, a severe beating and a light beating. So to me, when I was reading those, I was like, okay, I can see where the scholars were coming from, and, and uh, I can see that there could be potentially different levels of punishment in the afterlife, which is just crazy to me, right? Because like, you're like, man, hell already enough sounds like an awful place and no way would I want to be there. But to imagine that like, there could be different levels of hell, that's crazy. Like to me, I'm like, that's, that's nuts. But that is the future for people who don't believe in Jesus. And to me, this, this whole section was very real to me. Not, not that it wasn't already, you know, because it's, I feel like it's, it's very easy to live the life that we live, right? Now, I'm, I'm no different than any of you. I've got a, a wife and a child and a family that I have to take care of. I have, you know, a job that has deadlines. I have friends and family. I have, you know, social stuff going on. And a lot of times, it's hard 
to always have this concept in the forefront of my mind because I'm secure. I, I know I'm going to go to heaven. I believe in Jesus wholeheartedly with my heart. I've confessed it with my mouth, and we'll touch on that a little bit more later. But for the unbelievers, this is what lays ahead of them. And for us, this needs to be important to us. It might not directly affect our lives now in the current, but it affects the world around us. And I want to keep reading here. We're back in Revelation, verse 13. And it says, And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. So there, again, you see the reference to being judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. And and this verse was very fun for me because, well, not fun, but like in a studying sense. Because I, I got obsessed over that word sea for a long time. I was like, man, what does this mean? And I, I read a lot of stuff, and I saw this one guy talk, and I was like, oh, this could be a really good explanation. Um, but from all the commentaries and everything that I read, basically, it's just this whole, this whole verse right here can be translated very literally. And uh, basically, this verse is just saying all the different regions where the bodies and souls of unbelievers that are held, they're given up to God for this moment. And, and I got to thinking, okay, so like, when we die, what happens? Like, whether we believe in Jesus or we don't believe in Jesus, like, what happens when we die? Like, we all have a basic concept of it, right? Like, as, as human beings, we consist of a spirit or a soul, and then we consist of a body, right? And when we die, obviously our bodies die, but our spirit is eternal. So our spirit's got to go somewhere. And so when our, when our bodies die, that's considered the first death, right? It's considered physical, physical death. And so for believers, it depends on when you died, meant where you, where you went, right? So in the Old Testament, before Jesus had come and died on the cross for you and me for our sins so that he made a way for us to get to heaven, before that happened, when people died and they believed in Jesus, they couldn't go directly to heaven because their soul had sin still attached to it, right? Jesus hadn't come and paid the price for that sin. So they went to a place, which scripturally you can see is called Abraham's bosom. It's a great place. Sounds really fun. Uh, The reason why it was called that is because Abraham was a friend of God and people knew that uh, obviously God was taking care of Abraham. So wherever Abraham was post-life, that's where you wanted to be. And so it kind of got that title. And you can see reference to that. We won't read it. I'll kind of summarize it real quick in Luke 16, if you're curious. Um, and so there's reference, and there's a, a rich man, Jesus is telling a story, a rich man died, and a, a Lazarus, or a beggar, depending on the translation that you have, he died, and they both went to the afterlife. In the Old Testament, it's typically referred to as Sheol, and scholars believe like a- Abraham's bosom and hell were in the same place, and then in this, in this imagery here in Luke, you can see a chasm that separates them, and they can't go back or forth, and it's, you, in, the, in the scripture, you see the rich man, it says he looked up and he saw Lazarus. Lazarus, weird name to say, next to Abraham. And so you see the imagery there of that, and scholars believe that uh, in the Old Testament, the reference to Sheol, that they were in the same place. So that's kind of where, if you were a believer, that's where you went until Christ came and died for you and me. And then when he did that, he paid the price for our sins. And so once you get into the New Testament, you don't see reference to Sheol anymore. You see just reference to Hades and hell. So it's kind of like hell's rebranding, you know? And uh, all those that were there in uh, Abraham's bosom, we can assume there's no scripture that's like, hey, Jesus went to the bosom of Abraham, grabbed them all, and they went to heaven. Like there was a couple scriptures that like maybe could have made that point, but I didn't feel comfortable saying like, this is the one that 
that it happened. But based off of what we know, Jesus came and he died. And when he died, we were able to go to heaven and spend time with Jesus. And you can see uh, here in Luke 23, if you've got your Bibles really quick, we'll flip over there. This is Jesus dying on the cross. And he makes this reference to heaven. So he's, he's there with the two criminals. And you get to the very end of uh, chapter, what are we at? 23, and it's 42 and 43. And in 42 it says, And he said, Jesus, and this is the criminal speaking to Jesus, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, Jesus saying to him, Truly I say to you, Today you will be with me in paradise. Now, paradise there, it's referenced three times in the New Testament, which I thought was very interesting, and it's always in reference to heaven. So right there, Jesus is saying, today you will be with me in heaven. And so there is full certainty that when we die, we will go up to be with Jesus and God in heaven because Jesus came and what he did here on earth, he paid for our sins so that we can do that. But for unbelievers, right, the destination of the soul has always been the same place, and it has never changed, and it's always been torment for eternity. And before this moment here in Revelation 11, you know, people who didn't believe, they would go to Hades or hell, right? You see that reference all over in the, in the, in the New Testament. And, uh, and then we get to here in, in verses 11 through 15 of Revelation, and we see that shift to the lake of fire. And so the lake of fire is, and the big difference between the two, right? Hades and hell. Hades and hell is a temporary hell. For some reason, that didn't dawn on me until I was going through this. And I was like, yeah, I guess it is. And the lake of fire is eternal. And I, there was reference to it here in the verse 10 that I read before we started. It says, they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. For some reason, every time I hear that, I think of the Sandlot scene where he's like, you know, the, the ball goes over and it's like forever, you know, you just see his mustache and his mouth moving. Like, that's what I see in my head. But that's what the lake of fire is, right? The lake of fire is forever and ever. And you see a reference here to uh, death and Hades here in verse 13. It says, and death and Hades gave the dead who were in them. That's essentially just describing the state of death, Right? Death is the condition, the, the first death, the physical death of our bodies. And Hades is the place where the soul goes if you don't believe in Jesus. That is the holding place for yourself. So what we have going on here in this section of Scripture is what they refer to as the second resurrection. The first resurrection being established in, in for believers, right? So it started with Jesus and all the way to the very last believer is the, considered the first Resurrection, And then the second resurrection is this moment here, which is for all unbelievers. And you can see a reference to that, you know, here in verse 5 of Revelation. I'll read it really quick. And it says, The rest of the dead that did not come to life until the thousand years were ended, this is the first resurrection. So basically, after the thousand-year reign of Christ, then the second resurrection happened, which is the moment we're in now. And this is, it's not a blessed event, I can tell you that. Right? You can imagine... You know, we've read through, you know, verse 11, and earth and sky and heavens and universe are gone. So I got to thinking, I was like, and I don't have an answer to this, but like, where are we? Like at this point, like there's, there's no existence. We're somewhere on a throne, by a throne with Jesus on it. And all of humanity is most likely present at this point, right? All the unbelievers, uh, probably all the believers, because like, where else are we going to be? Everything's gone. And this is the moment before Jesus creates the new heaven and the new earth. 
And so this is the second resurrection, and this is, this is an event that you do not want to be a part of. I can just imagine the sorrow and the weight in that moment. Because all of sin, all of evil from all existence, from all humanity, every person that has ever been born and died will be present at that moment. And I can just imagine the weight of that moment, kind of like the weight that you feel right now, because this can sometimes be an uncomfortable topic to talk about, but it's, it's heavy for a reason, church. I want to continue here to verse 14. It says, Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire, and this is the second death, the lake of fire. And so here we see reference to the second death. All right, different from the first death. The first death is our physical bodies dying, and this is the second death. Now, I don't want you to confuse it with like, actually dying because our souls are eternal, right? Our, our souls cannot die. They just go to a new state of consciousness, if you will. And so here is the second death. And this second death is essentially an eternal separation from God's presence. Now, I want to let that sink in a little bit because there's a lot of weight to that. It's an eternal separation from God's presence. If you have your Bible, turn with me to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 9. And here we can see Paul writing, as Paul does. Paul's a writer. And he confirms this right here. He says in verse 9, They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from his glory and might. Away from the presence of the Lord and his glory and might. Now, we see the phrase eternal destruction there, and I don't want that to be confused with like an annihilation or anything like that. Like that's not what that means. It's it's essentially what I said earlier. It's It's a new state of consciousness. They're not being destroyed. They're being sent somewhere else eternally for punishment. And one thing I I want us to understand about the second death in this moment is it's, it's not an attempt to repay their sin, right? They're not going to the lake of fire and they're like, hey, what level did you get? I got level 10. I got level five. Well, you got less time than me. Like that's, that's not what this is. This isn't a way for them to repay their sin. This is eternal punishment that cannot be paid. There's no second chance after this moment, after you die. There's no second chance to be saved for redemption. All that remains is eternity of torment, away from the presence of God. They're not paying off a debt. They're living in an existence appropriate for their continual sinful nature and the rejection of Christ. That's what this moment is. That's why it's so heavy. I'm sure each of us can remember a time in our lives where we weren't saved, right? Like at some point, if you believe in Jesus and you're in this room or you're watching online, you had to have a moment where you chose to believe in Jesus, 
And so if you can just remember what your life was like before Jesus, and a lot of us maybe, you know, accepted Jesus at a, a later point in life, which is great. And so maybe you lived a little bit longer of, of a life in sin, and, and some of us might have done it at a younger age. But wherever you're at, if you can just remember that feeling of just evil and sin, that's just a little taste of what is ready for an unbeliever for eternity. And we get to verse 15 here, and it doesn't say anything new, anything that we don't already know. And it says, if anyone's name was not written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Now, I also thought it was interesting that the, the book of life was here, because if, if the book of life is just for the names of, of people who are going to get into heaven, essentially, then, like, why is it here? Like, it, it's not like God made a mistake, and he, he's like, oh, John Smith, I, I didn't, that's your name, apologies, that's just the generic name I choose. Like, oh, sorry, I didn't, I didn't realize you were in hell this whole time, my bad, your name's in the book of life. Like, that's not going to happen. <laughs> Jesus doesn't make mistakes, right? His, he's, he's always right, he's never wrong, but I believe that the book of life was here to approve conviction, to get to the end and go through all of the other books before, talking about everything that they've ever done. And it's just there to confirm the, confirm the conviction, right? And so here in the last verse, you know, we see essentially the end of all sin and evil. It's done. Satan, the Antichrist, the false prophet, any unbeliever, death in Hades, sin, it's gone. It's all been tossed into the lake of fire for eternity. And then we'll pick up in verse 21 next week about the new heaven and the new earth. And if, if that imagery scares you this morning, and you're sitting here, and maybe you don't believe in Jesus, you're watching online, and maybe you don't believe in Jesus, I, I just want to encourage you this morning, that doesn't have to be your future. That doesn't have to be your future, and I'd like to show that to you. If you've got your Bibles, let's go to Romans 10, Romans 10, 9. This is a very important scripture, and if you've ever had an opportunity to talk with somebody that doesn't know the Lord, or maybe you're like, I don't know what scriptures to use to talk to somebody that doesn't know the Lord. These next three that I'm going to rattle off, write them down. They're great. This is, this is what you want. Romans 10.9. It says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between a Jew and a Greek, for the same Lord is the Lord over all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And if you're here this morning and you don't believe in Jesus, that's for you. Because we've all been there at one point. We all had to make this decision. We all had to believe in our hearts and we all had to confess. That's just a fancy word for talking to Jesus, having a prayer, having him come into our lives and say, Jesus, I want nothing more than to live for you. 
Now, I, I want you to understand, like, this is just, like, step one, right? You don't, if, if you do this and then you choose to live your life the same as always, like, it's not going to work, okay? Because biblically, even the demons, they believe in Jesus. So, like, believing in Jesus is only the first step, right? The difference between somebody that believes in Jesus and a demon is that our lives look different, right? The, the works of our lives are a mere reflection of what we believe, right? If we believe in Jesus, our works are going to be different. If we don't believe in Jesus, the things that we do, they're going to be very different, right? Your works cannot save you. Your works are just a reflection of what you believe deep down in your heart. And so this morning, if you don't believe in Jesus and you've been thinking about it for a little bit, I'd, I'd love to encourage you this morning to consider that. Maybe you have more questions and you would just like to have a conversation with somebody else. I would be more than happy to have a conversation with you. Anybody of our guest services team that wear a lanyard, they would love to have a conversation with you. And if you pop back a little bit to Romans 6, 23, it says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Right there, that just confirms everything that we just talked about here in Revelations. The wages for sin is death, eternal punishment, forever, forever separated from God's presence. But the free gift of God, it's free. You don't got to pay for it. Jesus is offering it to you and to me. And one last scripture I want to show you in Ephesians 2, 8 through 9. This scripture I love. It says, for by grace you have been saved. Uh, That line sums everything up. For by the grace and mercy of Jesus, you and I have been saved through faith through complete trust in Jesus Christ. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So this morning, if you don't believe in Jesus, and this hasn't stirred up your heart, or maybe it has, and you want to have a conversation, you could even make a decision right now to choose to follow Jesus for the rest of your life. And I, I want you to understand that there's no pressure, there's no shame, there's no guilt that you should feel from, from, from this because we and everybody that believes that's in this room or watching online, we want that for you. Like, that's what we want. I don't want you to get to the end of your life and realize that, oh, this, this is real and have to stand in front of Jesus and him to not give you a trial, but to give you a judgment and then have to toss you into the lake of fire because that is the future for people that do not believe in Jesus. And for those of us that believe in here, that have maybe been following Jesus for a couple of years, maybe following Jesus for our entire lives, this ought to shake you. Because I know for a fact that there are, are people in your life, maybe that are very close to you, maybe that are in your sphere of influence, that don't believe in Jesus. And I know for me, that's very real. I don't know who it is in your life. I know my brother and my sister, they both don't believe. And that weighs on you. I know. <laughs> I'm there. And a friend of a friend once said this statement, and it stuck with me for a little bit, and I, I thought about it a lot, and, and they said, passively, at some level, we must believe that an unbeliever can be saved after death, which is not true. 
or else we would be doing everything that we can to tell people about Jesus. Everything that we can. And I thought about that a little more, and I was like, yeah, that, people might feel that, but honestly, I feel like for me, and, and potentially you can relate, it, there's, there's a lot of fear, right? And sometimes just human selfishness that comes over us because we're human, and that's just deep down inside of us, a sinful nature, and that's why we need Jesus. But maybe you're afraid of rejection. Maybe you're afraid that you can't save them. Maybe you're afraid that you might lose the relationship. And you know what? All of those statements are false because they start with the word fear. And you want to know what fear is? Fear is not of God. It says in 2 Timothy 1.7, For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. And so this morning, if you have that fear inside of you, I want you to know that's not real. That's just the devil trying to stop you from sharing the gospel with somebody that needs it. I don't know if you have a fear of rejection. I want you to know, like, don't worry about rejection. And if you have a fear that you can't save somebody, good, because that's not real. You can't save anybody. The only person that could save anybody is Jesus. And we saw that in, in Ephesians. It says, and this is not of your own doing. It's through a gift of God. We can't save anybody. We're just the tool for him. We're just the one to say, listen, I know what Jesus means to me, and he's done a lot for me in my life, and I would just love to share that with you. You know, and you could share those scriptures with them. But I know deep down inside, those, those are very real fears. But I know that Jesus can help overcome those fears because those fears are not of him. They're of the devil. And I know that we all know somebody that doesn't know the Lord. And this morning, I wanted to make it personal because I want it to matter. I want you to see their face. And if we don't share Jesus with them, with, and not even just them, the world, the people that don't know Jesus. I had the privilege to go to camp. I wasn't going to share this story, but I feel like it's appropriate. We had the uh, privilege to go to camp. And uh, it was an awesome time. I was at high school camp. I love high school camp because inside I'm just a giant kid. You probably can see that, by the way. I dance around on the stage. You know, it's very good. And uh, so I get to, you know, go be a goof and hang out with kids. And, and uh, it was just an amazing time. And there was this, just this moment at camp. We were going on the float trip. And there were these two students that they just didn't want to float. So uh, I just kind of got to that point where uh, me and another leader, Caroline from Holly, she's the goat and she knows it because she's sitting in the room. And uh, we, uh, we had the opportunity to just take these students and we sat in the van for two hours and waited for everyone to float down the trip. And I, I could have been very angry in that moment because like, it was hot. I mean, it was like 85 degrees. I wanted to float. I wanted to get my float on. And uh, I could have been very angry about the situation but for some reason, God just put a, a calming presence on my heart, and, and I knew I needed to be there for that moment. And, uh, and it, was, it was funny, because after, after it was all done, all the leaders, they were like, man, there's no better, two better people that would have been in that van than Josh and Carolyn. I was like, represent, let's go. Because um, if, you, if you know me, I'm like, I'm like, a, I'm like a, let's get to the point. Let, let's talk business. I ain't about this fluff in the bushes stuff, right? And so basically, you know, we were sitting there, and we just had an opportunity to just talked to, to these students, and they just shared a little bit about their lives. I mean, they lived tough lives, and they're just in high school, you know, maybe sophomores, and, you know, in and out of foster care, you know, father died, uh, abuse, and, uh, and I was like, yeah, I can, 
I can see that from, from what transpired here. And it, was, it broke my heart. And uh, the one girl, you know, said that she knew Jesus, but the other one had no idea who Jesus was, didn't even have a Bible. And I was like, I was kind of taken back a little bit because, like, you think people that need Jesus, like, they're, you know, that's why we go on missions trips, yada, yada, yada. But no, like, there, there are students here, there are people here that have never even heard the name of Jesus. And it was just an amazing moment. We were able just to talk about Jesus a little bit. And, you know, we, we, I wasn't expecting to see immediate fruit from that kind. If we had another hour in the van, we would have got there. But we didn't have that hour, right? So we, we did what we could, we, what the Lord, you know, placed in our hearts to do. And, you know, we saw a little bit of that fruit that, that night, right? The one student actually sat through the entire chapel. They were getting up and, and just having a tough time. But she, they, they sat there through the entire chapel. And I was like, that's the Lord doing a work in her heart. And church, we, we have to have grief for the people that don't believe in Jesus because they need it. I have one more story to share and then I'll close. I remember one time very vividly, I was in seventh grade and uh, I wasn't like a popular kid. I know you probably don't get that vibe now because I'm so cool. But like in school, like I was kind of quieter, you know. I, I hadn't really, you know, grown into myself yet. And uh, I remember there was like a spring break or something. And there was this one kid who I knew a little bit, but not a lot, right? He was a very popular kid. And uh, I just knew, you know, by his, the way he lived his life and the way he talked and, and, and all this stuff that, that he didn't know Jesus. And uh, he went away on spring break, and uh, he died on that trip. Seventh grade. They said he took a jet ski, and then they just never found him. And, uh, man, I remember coming home and just going in my room, just bawling. (laughs) And... I didn't even really know the guy. <laughs> but I knew there was a good chance he wasn't going to heaven. And that broke me. And you see that too in the Bible. When the smallest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. And, you know, Jesus was, was weeping in a moment with Lazarus and he died and he wasn't weeping for the death of Lazarus because he knew what he was about to do. He was about to raise him to life, right? But he was weeping for the family because he felt their pain. And he was weeping for the fallen world entangled in sin and sorrow and death. And God doesn't want that for anybody. So like at what point in our lives are we going to make this a priority? Is it because we don't have time? Because... If that's the truth, you can make time. Jesus made time on the cross. He was literally breathing his last breath and had a conversation with a criminal and said, listen, I see, I see what you're saying and I see that you believe and you're going to be with me in heaven. So this morning, I want to encourage you because it's a weighty topic. It is. And... Uh, I was excited to preach this because I I, I truly believe in this and I truly believe that as a church, this is our calling. I mean, you see it in the the Great Commission and Matthew and I mean, you even see it in, in who we are as a church. I mean, one of our core visions is reach. 
We believe that as God's people, it's our primary purpose and goal to go out and make followers of Jesus Christ. That's what we're called to do. And so this morning, I'm going to invite you to stand. You can stand up. It's okay. Don't worry. And uh, I I asked the band because I I really wanted to sing this song. And it's called I've Witnessed It. And it's it's just an amazing song. And this morning, I want us... I want us to sing and I want us to celebrate and I want us to give praise to Jesus because he's done so much in our lives, so much in our lives. And that's what we're singing about this morning. And then it gets to the very end of the song and there are a couple phrases and this is what I want our hearts cry to be. It says, to the broken, I'll witness it. To the hurting, I'll witness it. To the lost, I'll witness it. And I'll tell them this. I'll tell them what I've witnessed. To my family, I'll witness it. To my city, I'll witness it. To the nations, I'll witness it. And I'll tell them what I've witnessed. Church, I want that to be the cry. I want that to be our identity. I don't want this to be something that's just, uh, oh, he preached a great message, and now I gotta go out and tell someone about Jesus. I want this to be our DNA. The reason why we do what we do, we already have that established as a church. We don't do anything without sharing the gospel because we believe that if they don't know Jesus, that's their future, all right? We don't want that for anybody. And as a church, I want that to be what we strive for. I want that to be our desire deep down inside. Because Jesus can change lives. He's changed mine. And I'm sure he's changed yours. And if he hasn't yet, let him. Let him. So church this morning, let's sing. Let's sing with everything that we have. Don't leave anything. Come on.